in tonight. I'm just going to jump right in. Uh, we're going to jump into Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 32. Uh, it's printed in, the, in your bulletin if you want to follow along, if you want to brought a Bible or have a Bible app. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, struggling with that word tonight, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Let me pray for us, and I want to jump into thinking about this passage tonight. Let's pray first. Our Father, we thank you for the good news of Jesus. And we thank you for his life and death and resurrection and ascension for us, for sinners like us, those who desperately need to be changed, need to change from the former manner of life that was before we knew your son, Jesus. Father, I pray that you would make tonight um, a time of uh, great encouragement to our hearts, uh, that you would do what you alone can do in in bringing the conviction that we need uh, to repent and turn from sin and collapse uh, upon Jesus, that you would bring the encouragement that our hearts need. Some of us come weary. It's been a long day. Would you be the lifter of our heads? We thank you for this chance to be together and to to continue to grow in our love for you as we hear of your great love for us and our love for one another. Uh, would you help us to love one another as you have loved us? We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. So my junior year uh, at USC, my best friend, uh, Jay at the time, uh, somehow I scored free tickets from my dad to a concert in Greenville. It was Santana, which you've probably rightly never heard of, unless you know the collaboration with one Rob Oh, gosh, Rob from Matchbox 20. Rob Thomas. Thank you, Clay. Uh, Somehow we scored free tickets to Santana, and we just kind of thought, why not? It was his 21st, and we were trying to be Christians in the way that we did it, and so we just went to this concert. But before, we were like, let's go eat somewhere, and let's maybe go to a bookstore, because we were like that. So we ended up going to a Fuddruckers in downtown Greenville. If you remember Fuddruckers, is Fuddruckers still a thing? I'm not sure. Okay. Oh, wow. That is wild to me. Go to Fuddruckers, and this is an important detail. We both had the, we made ourselves a, a, a bacon a double cheeseburger, and we added, and I think this is where we went wrong, some jalapenos from the Fuddruckers bar. 
Then we make our way to the bookstore. We're doing some shopping. Next thing I know, Jay's gone. I'm like, hmm, it's kind of weird. I mean, cell phones had just come out, so texting wasn't really a thing. Next thing I know, I get a phone call, and he's like, hey, you have, don't ask questions. You have to just come meet me in the Fuddruckers bathroom. Which is, I'm like, okay. Very curious as to what happened. Get to the bathroom, knock on the door. He just barely opens it, just barely. And he's like, I don't have too much time to explain, but do you have any pants in your car? And I was like, actually, I do. By God's providence, I did have a pair of jeans. And he was like, go get them. All right, so I do go get the jeans, come back. And he's like, basically, I realized the Fuddruckers went really wrong. And I tried to make it back to the bathroom. And he's like, you can't go in there. It's like a crime scene. He's like, there is just stuff everywhere. So he did his best to clean up, put the jeans on. This detail he always reminds me of. Before he sat down in my car, I apparently put some newspaper down <laughs> just to like make sure that my car was okay. And then we went to the concert and tried to have a good time. And if you don't know what Santana's music is like, just imagine the worst pool party you've ever been to. And that's what the concert was like. Um, why do I say that? But here's why I say that. Because the Christian life, bear with me, is not not like that. Here's what I mean. When Paul in this passage goes to talking about sanctification, how we are being changed into the likeness of Jesus by his grace and patience, he talks about it in this way, taking off the old self, the clothes of the old self, and putting on uh, the clothes of Jesus and his righteousness. What I want to do tonight is just talk about two things with you, uh, because we're talking about change. We need to be changed. We need to change. I think most of us realize that. But all I want to do tonight is two simple things from this text. Is first talk about why we, why, why we need to change, why we need change. And then two, how that change happens, how we can change um, because of Christ. So first, why we need to change. And let me remind you, if you've been with us, last week we talked about Paul is building this case for a culture of, what does a culture of grace look like? Ephesians 1 through 3, he's talking about the staggering news of what God has done for us in Christ and how life-changing it is. Ephesians 4 through 6, he's spelling it out for us. And last week we looked at this, uh, the first part of Ephesians 4 where he talks all about how do we build a culture of grace that is full of unity, where we learn to love one another and be patient with one another and bear with one another. And I think this text is interesting in light of that because he's kind of saying, what is the greatest threat to unity? And this is the way I want to say it tonight. It's doing the Christian life or doing the Lord's work in the world's way. It is doing the Christian life, doing the Lord's work in the world's way. This is what we need to be deeply changed from. Bear with me. Listen to me. This is tempting. When we go to think about living as a Christian, what's tempting is in in our old selves, the way of Jesus makes at best it's confusing and at worst it might be downright embarrassing. Um, Let me do it like this. There are two recent examples that came to mind about the way that we often do approach the Lord's work or the Christian life in the world's way. Here's one example. I was on Twitter. I'm on Twitter a lot. And there was this this tweet that went kind of viral where there was a a story in Atlanta of a father who lost his son. His son was murdered by two high school guys. And I don't know how to describe this pastor, but other than to say he's just a very jacked pastor, watching this news clip of this father— who the first thing he says when they ask him, how are you doing? He says, I just want those boys who killed my son to know that I love them and I forgive them. And this very jacked 
toxically masculine pastor is like, this is everything wrong with the American church. This is soft to move quickly to forgiveness. And people rightly responded and said, has he heard of a guy named Jesus? <laughs> Literally, as he's being killed, says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We often do the Christian life. We do the, the, the Lord's work in the world's way. Or here's another one. This is fresh for me. It was on Friday. We had this meeting on campus of all of the, we're called, uh, we used to be called chaplains, but now we're just called religious affiliates. It's, it's basically all the heads of the different ministries recognized on campus. And not naming any names, but there was this one uh, person there who did the big rah-rah thing where they said, what we need on this campus, what we need is a big party with all of the campus ministries together to show our campus how cool we are, to show our campus like how with it we are, and what we need is a big name speaker. And he said, for example, last year I tried to get this together, and we, <laughs> and we offered Tim Tebow, we offered Tim Tebow $50,000. And he apparently turned it down, which is wild to me. But it's another example of often we think about the Christian life in the world's way. And Paul is really zeroing in. Because here's the question. What if the biggest reason Jesus came to die for you and for me was that instead of loving God and other people, we used God and manipulated one another? What if like that's at the core of what it means to be sinful? Um, I look, our pastor recently preached, Justin, he's in the back, say hello. He, he had this line in his sermon yesterday that really stood out to me. And it's like this. He said like this. What the heart, when it comes to thinking about ourselves as sinners, the way of Gentiles, the way of the world, what the heart wants, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. And this is how Paul is describing the Gentiles here. What the heart desires, what the heart wants, the will chooses, and the mind Justifies, And this is what Paul is getting at when he's describing the former way of life, the way of the world. He's saying their hearts wanted one of what I'm just going to call four big idols that we all face as sinners. Often our hearts want comfort. Often our hearts want approval. They want power and they want success. And in our former way of life before Jesus, one of those things typically drove us. Or pick, pick two, pick three. And we're, we're being driven by these things that are not the Lord himself, that are not Jesus. Uh, think about it like this with me. Why do we struggle with drunkenness? I would say comfort and approval. We want to feel good or we go along with the crowd because we want to be liked. Why do we struggle with gossip? I would say power and success. It feels good to cut someone down. And the reason it feels good is normally it makes me look better. Uh, why do we struggle with lust? We could just name all of them. Because we want to feel good, uh, because we feel powerless, because we want to be loved, because we feel like a failure. What the heart wants, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. We choose the way of the world. Listen to me. We choose the way of the world as a way to avoid the deep change that we need at the heart level. We choose the way of the world to fit Jesus into the way we want things to be rather than the deep work at the heart level of learning to grow in our desire and love for Jesus. Another way I can say it is, why is there so much busyness in the Christian life? Because it's a way to avoid the deep change that we need. Why are some of the churches that we come from so programmed and so just, there is so much, too much you can do because it is, you know, it's much harder to invite Jesus 
into the places where we need to be changed the most deeply. It's just true. Um, Jean Fleming, she wrote this book. You've probably, if you've been around her, you've heard me say this quote because I love it. She wrote a book called Between Walden and the Whirlwind. And here she describes that we choose busyness instead of being deeply formed into Christ, which is what we need the most at the heart level. Here's how she says it. She says, in the 20-some years I've been a Christian, I've received instruction on and been challenged. And just listen to this list and let it wash over you. I've received instruction on and been challenged to read my Bible daily, to pray without ceasing, to do in-depth Bible study regularly, to memorize scripture, to meditate day and night, to fellowship with other believers, to always be ready to give an answer to the questioning unbelievers, to give to missions and to the poor, to work as unto the Lord, use my time judiciously, give thanks in all circumstances, serve serve the body using my gifts to edify others, keep a clean house as a testimony, Practice gracious hospitality, submit to my husband, love and train my children, disciple other women, manage finances as a good steward, involve myself in, my, in school and community activities, develop and maintain non-Christian friendships, stimulate my mind with careful reading, improve my health through diet and exercise, color coordinate my wardrobe, watch my posture, I love the way she closes it, and simplify my life by baking my own bread. And I don't know what your experience around Christian culture has been. But I think if I'm being honest, I would rather the Lord give me a long to do, I don't even like to-do lists, but to give me a long to-do list for things I need to try to accomplish in my own strength. And I've been a Christian long enough to be convinced that what he is doing in me is he is committed to changing me in the ways that I need to completely depend upon his strength, even hope to be changed. Because I can try to fix stuff, but how do you fix your own heart? And most days, if I'm being honest, I just want to fit Jesus into what I want. And Paul is saying, you understand, this is not the way of Jesus. This is not what Jesus wants for you or for me. And that's the second thing I want you to see. The last thing I want you to see is, okay, if it's true, this is... True of me at the heart level. I just want to fit Jesus into what I want. How do I really begin to change? Is there hope that I can change or be changed? And this is if you hear anything tonight. This is my favorite part of the passage. As when Paul turns in the second part of the passage, his response to our need for change isn't, stop it. It isn't, here's a 10-step plan to change your life. And it isn't, please read my book on this subject. Although I guess, I guess technically we are reading his book, his book on the, God's book on the subject. But his response in verses 20 and 21 is what I love. Is it's just this. Jesus. That's what he has for us. And the good news is that's all we need. His, he, look at verses 20 and 21. He says, that's not the way you learn Christ. To try to fit him into your former manner of life. The way the world tells you to live or how you feel comfortable. His response is Jesus. I love this story out of Bill Clinton, whatever we think of him. In 92, he's trying to win the presidency. And there's this moment in 92 where the economy is terrible under Bush 1 for lots of reasons. I'm not, we're, we're, you know, for lots of reasons. Clinton comes on the scene hot, but then the scandal of an affair breaks out. And his campaign is freaking out because they're like, well, here, here it goes. Like, there's no way he's going to survive this scandal. And there's this famous story 
of James Carville, who's one of his advisors, worked, you know, kind of the genius of his campaign. And they said in this room, as people are freaking out, he's very calm, sitting in a chair, and he just says this famous line now, it's the economy, stupid. That's what's going to win us the presidency. Turns out he was right. But this is kind of what Paul is saying. It's Jesus, stupid. (laughs) That's a call of stupid. But it's Jesus. That's how we change. Let me say it like this. Here's what I mean by that. How do we change? Three things. We look to Jesus. We learn from Jesus. And we live being led by Jesus. We look to Jesus. We learn from Jesus. And we live being led by him. Let me just briefly unpack those things. We look to Jesus. We could go through this list that Paul gets into specifically. When we lie, what do we do? We look to Jesus. When we lose our tempers, what do we do? We look to Jesus. When we rob God of his glory by living for our own, what do we do? We look to Jesus. When we have used and manipulated and stolen one another's time or reputation or glory, we look to Jesus. When we have gossiped to make us feel good, we look to Jesus. When our hearts are brimming with bitterness and meanness, we look to Jesus. I love the story, uh, Numbers 21. Numbers is a confusing book, but there's a story in Numbers 21 that Jesus applies to himself in his conversation in the Gospel of John with Nicodemus. Where the story in Numbers 21 is God's people are in the wilderness. Uh, they are being rebellious in all kinds of ways. God sends as a place of, as a um, act of judgment, poisonous snakes in their midst. But he also does this other thing where he tells Moses to build and make this bronze serpent. And he says, tell my people, whenever they are bitten by these poisonous snakes, you hold up that serpent and tell them if they look at the serpent, they will immediately be healed. And if they don't, they will die. And Jesus, when he's talking to Nicodemus about being born again, again, you can't give birth to yourself. This, we are completely dependent upon God and his grace to change at all. But he says, the son of man must be lifted up like the bronze serpent in the wilderness. And so the son of man will be lifted on a cross because the cross is the place where we see God's judgment and mercy kiss. And it's the only place of hope for sinners. We look to Jesus when we sin and we are going to sin. I love the reality and the realness of Ephesians 4 is we are going to do the things in this list. We are going to lose our tempers. We are going to gossip. And our hope is to look to Jesus and ask him to change us and to give us repentance and belief in him. Um, So we we look to Jesus, but then we learn from Jesus. Because how do you learn to be a person who speaks truth and love? How do you learn to be angry and not sin? How do you learn to work hard, not for selfish gain, but to bless and give generously to bless others? How do you learn with your tongue? We could just focus all of our sin on our tongue if we wanted to tonight. Paul seems to really focus there. How do you learn to be a person whose words are dripping with grace? Because we want to encourage one another instead of tearing one another down. How do we move from bitterness to kindness? Uh, One of my favorite movies in the last, gosh, 10 years is a movie called Chef. If you're familiar with Jean Favreau, uh, who did uh, Swingers, that was kind of his breaking into the scene. He did this movie called Chef. And he wanted to work with this guy, Roy Choi, who kind of broke the food truck scene in L.A. Um, And basically, Roy Choi, I just read this article recently, said, I will only do it in one condition, that you come be around me and work in my kitchen. And if you're willing to come be around me and work in my kitchen for a solid amount of weeks or months, I can't remember, then I will do this movie. I will be the advisor for this movie. So John Favreau did that. He went and worked 
in Roy Choi's kitchen, and he develops such a love of food. They did a new, another show called The Chef Show on Netflix, where literally it's just Roy Choi and John Favreau cooking like cool things from around the country. But I love it because what was Roy Choi saying? Come and learn from me. Come be with me, and I can impart to you what you need to, to be a chef in that case. I like the way that Scott Saul says it. He says, you want to be like Jesus? Focus less on trying to be like Jesus and more on being with him. We learn from him, Jesus says, when he invites us to rest because he is gentle and humble of heart. So we look to Jesus, we learn from Jesus, but then also we live being led by Jesus. And that's the shot and chaser in verse 30 and 32. The shot, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And the chaser, what does that mean? Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. What grieves the heart of Jesus, therefore the Holy Spirit, is when we live in such a way where it's like we forgot the gospel. It's like we forgot that God's kindness has changed everything for us. It's like we have forgotten that it changes the way we speak and act and respond to our own emotions and the way that we work and the way that we treat one another In short, it changes everything. And what happens, how we change, is Jesus slowly begins to change us, making him and his kingdom the desire of our hearts. And we slowly begin to do the Christian life in the Lord's way, moving from posing what one guy calls posing and pretending to repenting and believing upon the Lord Jesus. Um, I'll close with this. There's a, a tweet that went viral, a lot of Twitter tonight. But there's a tweet that really captured my attention because as a, as a young Christian, megachurch culture kind of shaped everything. And here's how the tweet goes. It was a, a younger woman sharing this. She said, I, I believed in God as a kid because I always felt so moved during worship songs at my megachurch. And then I went to a One Direction concert and felt the same thing. And I realized I just like live music. <laughs> just like, yep. Um, Versus, I had an experience on Sunday that was funny to me, but I just wanted to share. Uh, we're, we're at church, and the closing hymn was, Hallelujah, What a Savior. My kids are mostly all teenagers, and they find it embarrassing when I sing loud. And I was feeling that hymn. I don't feel hymns often, but I was feeling this particular hymn. And I'm really doing up the chorus in a voice that is not great. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to sing, sing it for you, but Hallelujah, What a Savior. And my kids are like dying laughing. And I'm like, well, okay, this is just being a dad sometimes. But I wanted to tell them, and I still can, do you know why I'm singing this loudly and embarrassingly to you? Because this is what Paul is saying. Our hope for change is hallelujah. What a savior. There is nothing you can do or have done to keep you from the love of Jesus. His love for you is a love that will not let you go. His love for you is is a love that meets you where you are, not where you've been pretending to be. And if we're ever going to hope to be a culture of grace, if we're ever going to hope to be a people all about the love of God made plain in Jesus, we keep our eyes fixed on him. And we learn from him to do the Lord's work in his way, to do the Christian life in his way. Here's how, let me close with this too. Here's how 
uh, Jean Fleming closed that little statement of busyness. Here's how she closed it. She said, Christ must not become simply another item in our life, not, an, not even the most important item. He did not come in order to be the most crucial piece of our fragmented life. He came to absorb all of life, our family, job, talents, dreams, ministry, into himself and impress on it his mark. To add Christ to our already busy life is to complicate living. To allow Christ to absorb all the elements of our life is to simplify it. Life is simplified when there is one center, one reason, one motivation, one direction, and purpose. The Apostle Paul's obvious center was Christ. His writings never digress from Christ. They ring with the steady, listen to this, they ring with the steady, predictable hammer, striking the anvil of life. Here's how we close. Life is in Christ, of Christ, through Christ, by Christ, with Christ, for Christ, from Christ. To live is Christ, and to die is more of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, make it true in us. Lord, um, meet us where we are, not where we've been pretending to be. We thank you that you do that. Change us. Lord, we know that work is slow, slower than we want it to be. We know that work is painful, more painful than we want it to be. And yet, by your love, by your grace, would you take us further uh, in? Change, Change us, Lord. We desperately need it. We need you. We thank you for your love for us. We pray these things.